Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Mac Bandwagon Podcast. Another episode. I'm your host, Sam Thoman, joined as usual by Zach Falador. It's episode 31, hard to believe, but it's it's been been quite an interesting week in the Mac. Yeah, it has, man. A lot going on, a lot to cover here. Uh, it's also, you know, Super Bowl week, uh, big week in the sports world. But yeah, before we get to Sunday, we got a lot of hoops to talk about, a lot of news in general across the Mac to get to here tonight. But Zach, I'll let you pick first. What should we talk about? We've got a couple, we've got Bowling Green news, we got some Toledo news, we've got some NFL combine news, and we got some transfer news. Man, a lot of stuff. You know what? How about let's start off real quick? I'll cut co- we can cover this transfer news pretty quickly. Um, not a, not a ton here, Sam. I mean, a couple updates we wanted to kind of talk about here, uh, as we've talked about in previous weeks, you know, we have the, the football transfer, uh, the portal tracker, uh, on the hustle belt website. Um, only, only two additions this week, uh, Akron, uh, got a commitment from, uh, Michigan, former Michigan state running back, Anthony Williams, a six foot, 191 pound, former three-star recruit. And then uh, for Kent State, the Golden Flashes, uh, they got a grad transfer from uh, Virginia. Uh, senior running back PK Keir announced that he would be transferring uh, to Kent State to finish out his college career. Keir was more of a, a special teams guy for Virginia. Uh, in his three years where he played, uh, he had 64 carries for 286 yards and one touchdown. So we'll see how he fits into the running back room there at Kent State. And, and same thing with Anthony Williams there at, uh, at Michigan State. One other one I almost missed here, uh, but Western Michigan uh, picked up a commitment from uh, D lineman Hosey Haji Badri uh, from East Carolina. He was a former three-star recruit as well, 6'3", 270. So Western Michigan, we talked about last week, Sam, losing Trayshawn Howard there on the uh, on the defensive side so they could certainly use the depth there on the D-line I think I mean yeah you talk about the incoming transfers you mentioned the depth issue and then I'm just scrolling through looking at everybody who's entering in the transfer portal and it is quite a few for a bunch of teams you look at Northern Illinois they have plenty of them that you look at Central Michigan they have a bunch of people in the transfer portal yeah. some already leaving like uh they're um, Kyron, uh, like uh, Brady Boyle to Houston Baptist, others just to be decided. It, it's going to be interesting to see who stays and goes because looking at Bowling Green, there's quite a few. Ball State, there's some. Uh, looking at a Akron, there's quite a few. So it looks like there's going to be a bunch of new faces in the MAC, a bunch of new uh, people uh, that's going to be able to show their talents. And it's going to be interesting to see how the rosters unfold next year. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and you know, some of those teams that you mentioned, Sam, that, that have a lot of those folks in the transfer portal, you mentioned Akron, you mentioned Northern Illinois. These are teams that, you know, we've talked about how these coaching staffs there with Tom Arth at Akron and, and uh, Thomas Hammock at Northern Illinois, they've really kind of embraced this, this youth movement, right, where there's tons of freshmen and sophomores on the team. They've been, been bringing in big recruiting classes. And I think it's just kind of a natural thing where sometimes guys are going to come in and they don't get the playing time or don't see the opportunities that they think they're going to get. And they end up transferring elsewhere. It's interesting to me. I mean, you look at a lot of these guys that, you know, there looks like they're, you know, they're transferring down a level. You got, uh, you know, Jonah Morris from Akron transferring down to Northern Colorado, who's, uh, you know, in the FCS, uh, Nate Stortz going to Montana state also at the FCS Maverick Wolfley, the linebackers going to West Florida, they're D two, uh, you know, same thing with, with, you know, you look at Bowling Green, Noah Massey's transferring down to Angelo State, which is a D2 school. Joe Maxwell's going down to North Alabama, which is uh, FCS. So 
I think a lot of these guys are just kind of realizing like, Hey, maybe I'm in a little bit over my head here, or I don't know if that's the way to say it, but Mm -hmm. there's, you know, they, they realize they might not get the opportunities at the D one level and they want to, they'd rather play at a lower level. Yeah. And, and one thing uh, before we talk about um, other, other stuff in the Mac, I thought it was uh, cool to mention Shane hooks transferring to Jackson state, uh, Deion Sanders, just kind of making himself known out there. So it's interesting to watch that Jackson state program kind of unfold. I think they've had the best recurring class that they've ever had, but yeah, I, I feel like, Zach, I don't know about you. It feels like we talk about transfer portal news every week, and I, I, I'm honestly just tired of it. Like, <laughs> it, it's it's good to talk about and keep informed of it, but it just seems like every week there's, like, three or four people who are entering the transfer portal, and it's just like I'm just, I'm just tired of talking about it. It has definitely become a lot more prominent here over the last couple of years since the transfer portal was initiated. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot more movement now in college football. It's almost like – you know, we talked last week about how it's almost like free agency uh, in, in pro sports. So, yeah, it's been interesting. It is a lot to keep up with, though. I agree with you, man. Yeah, and um, Zach, if you want to touch on some uh, pretty big news uh, coming out of Bowling Green with Justin Turner. Yeah, so uh, Bowling Green last night, uh, we're recording on Thursday here, and their game last night against Western Michigan, uh, Justin Turner did become the all-time leading scorer in uh, Bowling Green men's basketball history. Uh, things for the team right now, as and you know, we'll touch on this later in the episode, but uh, Sam, from a team perspective right now, things not going very well at all for Bowling Green. That continued last night, but uh, despite their loss to Western Michigan, Justin Turner, uh, 25 points and six rebounds, nine for 17 from the field. So certainly, you know, personally had himself a good game and he's having a good season in his senior year. Uh, you know, talk about the transfer portal. This was a guy that entered the portal last year, decided to come back and uh, Bowling Green fans were very happy about that. And, you know, he's averaging 20.2 points per game, 4.9 assists, 4.2 rebounds. Uh, so yeah, this is a guy, I mean, he's been doing it at a high level for a very long time for Bowling Green. I mean, going all the way back to his sophomore year, 2017, 2018, he's averaging 16 a night then. That increased to 18.2 uh, his junior year, 18.8 last year, and then now this year in his fifth year, uh, up to 20.2 points a game. So, I mean, that if you're going to be the all-time leading scorer in a program's history, that's what you got to do. This is a guy who's been playing at a high level for a very long time for the Falcons. Yeah, there, no doubt the talent's there. I, I There's no question. I, I'm not surprised by that. He's the all-time scorer. I watched him last year come to Worthington Arena and just absolutely put on a show when Bowling Green was just so good last year. It was hard to watch. It, like, he, he was just so dominant. Anything he shot basically went in in that game. And it's just like understandable why he's the all-time scorer. Even though, like you said, Bowling Green's having a struggle, Justin Turner's definitely been a bright spot of the program. He He's number one all-time scorer. He's just a dominant animal. If you if you want to um, see who he passed, I believe it's Anthony Stacy. Bowling Green has a, uh, a a tweet out of the all-time yeah. scores list. But yeah, Justin Turner, no doubt, just a, a legend at Bowling Green, and his talent is undeniable. No, he, it really is. And this is a guy now, I think the next thing for him is he's ha- he has in his sights to break that plateau of being a 2,000-point scorer uh, for, uh, for the Falcons. After last night's game, he's sitting at – 1,959 points. Bowling Green now, uh, they still have, uh, what, seven games left in the regular season and then, you know, some uh, some obviously the conference games, uh, conference tournament games as well. So you'd like to think, you know, without 
much sweat, he's going to hit that 2000 point plateau. So congrats to him. An awesome milestone. Uh, like, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm sure he probably would trade that for a couple more wins here over the past mm-hmm. few weeks for the Falcons, but nonetheless, a, a really cool individual milestone for him. Yeah, no doubt. We've got some, um, kind of, we got some news out of Toledo. Yeah. So, uh, if anyone was following last week, uh, athletic director, uh, Mike O'Brien for the Rockets, he announced that he's going to be uh, retiring. Uh, so the way they do these things in, you know, high level athletic administration at the college level, you know, he announces his retirement and then he'll set a date, you know, in the future. So uh, he announced that he's going to be stepping down April 30th, 2022. So he's got a little bit over uh, a year left, but this is a guy that has been uh, at Toledo uh, as the AD since January, 2002. So but the time he retires, you know, it will have been after 20 years uh, at the helm of, of the Rockets athletic department. And I think anyone that follows the Max Sam would agree that during that time, Toledo has been one of the most successful programs in the Mac in a number of sports. I mean, under O'Brien's watch, the Rockets have won or shared 36 league titles in nine different sports. They've made 11 bowl games in football, uh, four NIT appearances in men's basketball, an NCAA tournament appearance uh, in women's basketball back in, uh, in 2017, along with eight women's NIT appearances, uh, which included a, uh, a WNIT championship back in 2011. Um, so, I mean, this is a guy that has really helped Toledo rock the, the, the program, uh, across the board, every sport really kind of reached new heights. And, you know, I'm sure Toledo fans are going to, are sad to see him go and there's going to be some big shoes to fill. Yeah. Uh, even with the, uh, football's kind of disappointing last few years, I mean, just look at what the basketball program's doing and especially this year, just the dominance they have. And like you said, 36 league titles in nine different sports. That's not just having excellence in one or two or three. That's excellence in nine different sports, which which is just incredible to see, especially out of a MAC program nonetheless. 11 bowl appearances in football, four NIT appearances. Like, you just can't say enough, like, just the, the shoes he's leaving to fill in. It'll be it'll be cool to see who they who they get to replace them because whoever they get has has some sho- big shoes to fill. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the th- one of the things I think that's always a measure of the quality of an athletic director is is the quality of of the coaches that they hire, right? For especially for their big flagship programs. So, like when you think about um, when you think about Toledo football you go back, you know, 10 years when he hired Matt Campbell to lead the Rockets and you look at what Matt Campbell's doing at Iowa state now. And, uh, you know, Toledo as a, as a program, this is a, one of those mid-major quote unquote, mid-major schools that consistently has coaches that are successful there that get poached by larger programs. And I think that's a testament to their success as a program and a testament to the people that he's hiring. So kudos to him for that. Like I said, I'm sure Rockets fans are sad to see him go and, uh, yeah, whoever whoever they hire to replace them, they're they're going to have a, a tall task and some, some big shoes to fill. And with that being said, uh, we we've got some NFL combine news to talk about. 
Yeah, so it's that time of year, Sam. And, uh, you know, it's the NFL Combine. They're doing it a little bit differently this year. Um, so I, I believe it's going to be all, all virtual. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the mechanism is or, or the kind of the logistics of it, but um, invites have started to go out and there's a number of Mac players that are, are starting to get invited uh, from Buffalo. Uh, you got two of them, actually. You got uh, Jared Patterson, which I don't think anybody is, is surprised by that. Uh, seven game season, 1,072 yards, 141 carries, 19 touchdowns. Just we've talked a lot about it. Just an insane season for um for Patterson and then also Keode Awasika uh the offensive lineman uh was a he, I mean he was a major part of Patterson's success this year he started all seven games at left tackle and uh you know played on a an offensive line that blocked for the second ranked rushing offense in the nation uh he was named to the 2020 Outland Trophy preseason watch list for the best offensive lineman in the country and he was a semifinalist for uh the Joe Moore award which is uh given to the top offensive lineman in the FBS so um, like I said, the combine is going to look a little bit different this year because of the pandemic. Um, it's not going to be hold, held in person. Uh, they'll take place at pro days on college campuses. But I think what, what's going to happen is they're just going to allow additional access uh, to the NFL scouts on those pro days. So uh, Awasika and, uh, and Patterson from Buffalo and then also Antonio Phillips, uh, the cornerback from Ball State who had a great senior year. Uh, he got an invite as well. So um, I can, all three of these guys, Sam, I think these are all three guys. I think Jarrett Patterson goes without saying. I think he played so well this year that you, I could see him as an early, maybe, you know, second or third round draft pick. But I think Phillips and, um, and Awasika, these are guys that I could easily see going in the middle rounds. I think Antonio Phillips uh, as a cover corner with how big his frame is and how fast he is and, and his, you know, you know, his ball skills. We saw him with a number of uh, interceptions this year and even, you know, the pick six in the, uh, in the bowl game against San Jose State. This is a guy that I think he'll, he'll, he'll get some good looks. Uh, from uh, from NFL teams and I think these are all three guys that can end up on NFL rosters next year uh, no doubt I mean Jared Patterson goes without saying I don't think we need to touch more on him everybody who listens to this podcast and watches the Mac knows about him in the emergence just not 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 just in the Mac but nationally he's had this season people have been 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 paying attention to his name so but I think Antonio Phillips and KO to Awasika we we kind of forget this past season with kind of the the shortened season, how good these guys were back in 2019. When you look at the mm -hmm. the the defenses, they were solid back in 2019. Yes, they they kind of dipped this year. We saw Dustin Crum put up ridiculous numbers, best offense on the MAC. We saw Jared Patterson run for his ridiculous numbers, and we forget how good this Buffalo defense was just a year prior. I mean, you saw you saw I believe it was against Charlotte or uh, Chattanooga in the the bowl game like two seasons ago. They were just flat out dominant. And that's why I believe um, uh, Ruggins are yeah. one of the defensive linemen, one defensive MVP in that game because they were just so good. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I mean, even you look at Antonio Phillips too. I mean, this guy's a, you know, he's a three-year starter for, for the Falcons and uh, you know, 2019 and 2018. Uh, 43 tackles in both of those seasons, which is a lot of tackles for a quarterback. Four interceptions last year, which was tops in the MAC. Uh, set, you know, eight interceptions for his career. So, yeah, these are guys that have been consistent performers at a very high level for a number of years. And I think, uh, I think both of them have a good shot at the next level. I'll be uh, curious to see how they do uh, in their combine workouts, and you know, certainly we'll be watching for their names come draft day in April. Yeah, no doubt we. And now we have a uh, Twitter question to talk about. 
Yeah. So uh, we want to tweet it out this week. You know, it's, it's been different this year on in hoops, Sam, because this is the first year where they've eliminated divisions from the equation in men's basketball, which, which, you know, most conferences do. And so the, the, the Mac, I think was one of the lone holdouts that that's kept their, their football divisions, you know, separated for basketball. So we asked this week, how do you guys feel about no divisions in the conference basketball this year? Uh, our friends over at the, uh, the college sports connection podcast, Alex and AJ, they responded and said that it's a welcome change to be honest. And I think, you know, I, I agree with them, Sam, you know, I think, like I said, the Mac was one of very few conferences that kept a divisional structure for basketball. It always led to weird seedings in the conference tournament and also kind of a weird imbalance in the schedule. I think it's much better just having one division of 12 for, for basketball purposes. Yeah, I agree. I think the sentiment from all three, I'll run through them quick. Zips United said, love it, Tyra Mac West teams getting higher seeds based on the division. And then Kyle Stalling said, way beyond time. I think the sentiment from all of us is it was it was enough time. We we needed the switch. Unlike football, which I kind of like it to remain the same with the divisions. I think I think fo- I think football or basketball m- m- rather needed this change for the Mac. I think it's interesting. We'll talk about this later, how they're only bringing eight teams from the conference this year. I think for the the couple seasons uh, beyond this year. So I think that's going to be a welcome change to see less upsets than we practically did. Like last year, we had that Miami upset over Buffalo, the 12 to five upset. That was fun to watch. But yeah, I I think the sentiment between all of us is it's a welcome change. We didn't get any comments that kind of differed. I, I think everybody was ready for this. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think one thing that I will be curious to see here over the next couple of years is that if, if you look at a lot of conferences, a lot of conferences have started to expand how many conference games they schedule each year. Uh, you know, being being a Penn State fan, I've seen it in the Big Ten where five years ago they played, you know, they was 16 Big Ten games every year and then they moved to 18. And then last year they moved to 20. I'd be curious to see if the MAC ever considered expanding to 22 conference games where every team plays every other team twice, once home and once away. I know 22 games is a lot of conference games to play. Still gives you eight non-conference games, though, at the beginning of the season if you want to have uh, 30 games overall and still get some games against Power 5 opponents and stuff like that. I do do think eventually, though, if you want to have a truly imbalanced schedule, that might be something for them to consider is to move it to, to 22 conference games every uh, Mac team plays the other 11 teams once home and once away. I'll be curious to see if they go that route at some point in the future. Yeah, I, I think no matter how many non-conference games, unless you have a ridiculous season, the Mac's just not going to get a two-bid season. I, th- I think it's best to, to sure. root out who's the best in the conference. I think you do that with the conference games, essentially. Like, I'm not sure a 15-point loss to Michigan for Bowling Green or Ball State does really anything for you. Like, Sure, it's great to have those buy-in games, but conference games is what's going to show who's the best team in the conference. And by then, by March, you're going to see who's truly the best in the conference and who deserves to be essentially in that one bid uh, season every year. I agree. Yeah, I, I certainly agree. And and you're right. The fact that it's very rare that a conference like the Mac would, would get more than one team into, into the tournament. So yeah, I figure you're right. If, if that's the case, you might as well play as many conference games as you can and find out who the true champion is. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Something to think about for, for the Mac. Uh, if, if commissioner Steinbrecher happens to be listening to this, this podcast <laughs> <here> today, <laughs> uh, yeah. something to consider for the future. 
Yeah, no doubt. Um, and, and with that being said, uh, Zach, is there anything uh, left you want to talk about with general news before we move on to some more hoops talk? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm ready to talk hoops, man. There's been a lot going on in the hardwood this week. Yeah, no doubt. And, and Zach, it's February. It's, I would say, a little bit more than a month away till tournament time. So we've got it. We've got some conference tournament coming up. Yeah. So I guess Sam and I, we were talking before the show, there's something we wanted to kind of touch on here this week is talk about the standings right now, both on the men's side and the women's side uh, and how they kind of relate to the, the conference tournament coming up here uh, in about a month, like you said, Sam. So as we mentioned, because they've gone to a one division format this year, the, uh, the conference tournaments have been cut down now to eight teams as opposed to, um, to everyone making it. So we have eight teams on the men's side and the women's side right now uh, that, that are going to qualify uh, for the MAC tournament in Cleveland in March. On the men's side right now, if the tournament were to start today, uh, you'd have the first seed being Toledo. They, they're starting to run away with it, it seems. And we'll talk about that a little bit more here in a couple minutes. But you got Toledo would be playing Ball State in the one versus eight game. Akron sitting at second in the conference at eight and three. They'd be playing Bowling Green as the seventh seed right now. Bowling Green has lost five in a row, has dropped all the way back to seventh in the conference, which is crazy. And, uh, and then you got Kent State sitting there in third. They'd be taking on Buffalo, who's at six. And then the four or five matchup there would be Ohio and Miami, which I think would be a great game. Both teams playing really well right now. So, Sam, I know uh, for your Cardinals, I guess we'll get a preview of this potential matchup this weekend on Saturday. But, man, that's uh, I, obviously you're happy to make the tournament when only eight of the 12 teams make it. But, man, that's a tough, uh, tough first round draw there if you're the Cardinals. I mean, no doubt, like no one wins when playing Toledo. You you may be able to get a win, but it's going to be tough. But to, it's only a projection right now. And Bowling Green or Ball State is only yeah. two games up on, well, one and a half if you go since uh, Western Michigan has played uh, one less game than Ball State. So let's say let's say two just for sake. It's not over yet. I saw I was looking at Ball State schedule. They've still got eight to ten, depending on if they end up playing the postponed games or not, if they're just canceled or whatnot. So it'll be interesting to see. So we've still got a lot of games left, but it's still it's still a great shot to look at the preview potential matchup between Ball State and Toledo. And I'll just say, Zach, from watching these games, it seems like there's a drop-off. You obviously have Toledo. You obviously have Akron and Kent State kind of bundled up. I would say those are the genuine top three guys of the conference. And then it's a little bit of a drop-off from everybody else. Yes, Ohio's good, but I don't think they're as good as Kent State, Akron, or Toledo, neither Miami or Buffalo. And we've seen Bowling Greens just, just fall. So I think from what I've seen, compared to the women's where there's really – you don't really know who's the, the top and who's really the bottom – it's really the top three teams are kind of running away with it. Yeah. I, I, the further this season progresses, Sam, the, the more I agree with you there, I was going back and forth with Alex from uh, the, uh, the college sports connection podcast on Twitter the other day that I really do think right now, Toledo, Akron and Kent state are, are kind of separating themselves uh, fr from the rest of the conference. I think Akron and Kent state, have really flipped the switch here over the last two to three weeks and are really, really playing well right now. Toledo has been playing great all year. They, they've consistently proven that they are the best team in this conference. Now I will say that I, you know, as bad as Bowling Green has looked here over the last two weeks, 
I still think they have the talent to, to get back to the top where if they can find their kind of, you know, their mojo again, I still can see them ripping off five or six wins in a row and climbing back up into the top three or the top four. I don't know how likely that is, especially after last night's game against Western Michigan. But if I was Akron and I finish in second place and I end up having to play Bowling Green in the first round, that's not a matchup that, that I'm looking forward to. So I do tend to agree with you where it's, you know, we got the top three teams kind of separating themselves on the men's side. Now, on the women's side here, Sam, um, like you said, there's a lot more parity here. The the I guess the caveat to this one is that you have um, most teams in the conference have played at a minimum 10 games, uh, most of them 12. The exception to that is Kent State, who's only played five. They're sitting at four and one in the conference. So Kent State is technically in first place right now, even though they've played, you know, six or seven less games than everyone else in the conference. But nonetheless, um, despite that, they would be the number one seed right now. So you'd have Kent State playing Eastern Michigan in the one eight game Uh, Bowling Green. Think about this, Sam. Bowling Green is sitting in second at nine and three. Central Michigan is sitting in seventh at eight and four. I mean, that's talk about parody right there. And then you'd have Ohio's the sixth seed at eight and four. They'd be playing Buffalo uh, who's seven and three in third place. And then ball state and Northern Illinois in the four or five matchup there, both, both of them sitting at, at seven and three to your point, Sam, when you look at these standings and, and you look at the results of when these teams have played head to head, I legitimately think you could say that all eight of these teams that are going to, likely be the teams that get invited to, to Cleveland, all eight of them could win. All eight of them could win this tournament, which that's, I mean, that that's parody to another level. That's, that's incredible. Yeah, I, I agree there. Like it's, it's just, we're just in such a weird year where Kent State who's four and one is number one in the Mac. Like when you're already in February and you've only played, that's eight total games, five games in conference. That's hard to believe, but it very well could happen, but no one's safe from Central Michigan, who just lost to Ball State, which we'll talk about uh, later, to Northern Illinois, to Ohio with their two studs, to Bowling Green, to Kent State, to Buffalo uh, with uh, Daesha Fair. Like anybody can win, and it's just it's just gonna be fun to watch throughout March. Not only on the men's side of things, see if we have a couple upsets uh, to to um, to to happen whether it's uh, Toledo uh, just uh, succumbing to just pressure and just like expectations or whether it's in the women's side, whether the eight seed Eastern Michigan comes to play and upsets everybody. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, on, on the women's side, you know, you, you mentioned Kent State. You know, I'll be curious to see if they're able to reschedule some of these, these postponed games because, again, like you said, we've only got, you know, a month here until the conference tournaments are set to start. And, you know, Kent state had six games postponed here over the last couple of weeks. So, you know, you only have so much time to play all these games. So if they aren't able to reschedule all of these games, I guess they'll obviously be going by winning percentage to, to, you know, to be based on in the conference tournament, the seating and stuff like that. But, you know, if Kent state finishes the season, having played, you know, four games or five less games than everyone else, um, that's certainly a storyline to follow uh, moving into conference tournament play because they might end up getting the number one seed. But, you know, having played, you know, a less number of games, I don't know, they might be more prone to rust, getting knocked off, something like that. That's definitely something to monitor. And, and you know what this before we move on to our next uh, basketball story, you know what it reminds me of in the same uh, state, uh, Zach? 
What's that? Ohio State football, how they got the number one seed despite playing less football games than Kent yeah. State's obviously in the state of Ohio. So that, that'll be uh, fun and interesting to watch if a um, team like a Ball State similar to Indiana football doesn't get the number one seed because of uh, playing less games. But yeah. Um, anyway, Zach, we've got we've got kind of uh, Toledo back to back stories to talk about. Man, I tell you what, yeah, um, it's a, a lot of great news out of uh, out of Toledo this week. So um, first off, the other night, uh, whenever Toledo defeated, uh, who, which game was it? Whenever they beat Akron, um, not only did that game really cement them as their uh, as the front runner in the conference, but it was also their coach Ted uh, Ted Kowalczyk's 200th victory as a head coach of the Rockets. Uh, he, I mean, he has been there now for a long time for, for the Rockets. And, and, you know, they haven't been to the NCAA tournament since uh, 1980. It's looking like he might have built them up uh, to this year to, to break that streak. So a great game for the, uh, for the Rockets, uh, 49 points in the first half there. And he has, uh, like I said, he's, you know, kudos to him, 200 victories at one school, not something that a lot of coaches can do. Not a lot of coaches have the longevity to be able to do that. Uh, and also uh, speaking of Toledo, you know, something we, we've talked over and over about the, the firepower that they have on offense. And uh, a, a tweet here from uh, from Dave Briggs from the Toledo Blade uh, I saw the other day that really uh, kind of highlighted this that I wanted to touch on here. It says, in two th- since 2008, uh, only seven MAC teams have ranked in the top 50 of Ken Palm's adjusted offensive efficiency rating. Buffalo was the highest at uh, number 21 in 2019. Right now, through 20 games, Toledo is seventh in the country in out of 350 teams for Ken Palm's adjusted offensive efficiency rating. Sam, we've talked a ton this year about how good their offensive bit has been, but even still seventh in the country, that still surprised me. Yeah, um, I, I think this is just surprising for the fact when a season ago, this was a team that went 17 and 15, eight and 10 in the conference and was third in the Mac West. And to look at the, the just kind of improvement that they've had between last season to this season, where they're just shooting the lights out, just, just dominating everybody beat the number two, uh, two team in the conference by 15. Like that's just ridiculous. The improvement that they have, you got to give a credit to a uh, coach, uh, uh, Kowalczyk for just the improvement that they've had from last season to this season. This season just just has been just uh, unbelievable for Toledo. And I don't think anybody looking at the, the at last season really saw this happening come out of Toledo. Maybe you saw them as the one seed, but did you have them only losing, what, two games in conference so far, one game in conference so far? Yeah, no, no way. I think uh, this is a team. I mean, when you look at, at Toledo under coach Kowalczyk uh, since going back to the 2010, 2011 season, you know, he has consistently, you know, built them up. They went, you know, 27 and seven, 14 and four back in 2013, 14, uh, won the Mac uh, regular season title that year, didn't win the conference championship. So they got to the NIT same thing back in 2018 and 19. So they did have a little bit of a step back last year to eight and 10 in the conference. Like you mentioned, Sam, but still, it's, it feels like they've been building to this. And now the, the, the struggle becomes, you know, the last two times they won the regular season title, they weren't able to get it done in the conference tournament. You know, the, that conference tournament's a different animal. So you can't, you know, all of this work that they put in through this whole season, 
Uh, it doesn't mean anything if you can't win in Cleveland and can't get to the big dance. So we'll see if they're able to put it together and, and keep this train rolling uh, here over the next couple of weeks. It certainly doesn't look like uh, they're, they're slowing down anytime soon with, uh, you know, the way that Marion Jackson's playing right now, the way that JT Schmidt's shooting the ball. I also have to give a, a, a public apology here. I was watching the Akron Toledo game the other night. And it made me realize that for the last month, I've been pronouncing JT Shumate's name wrong. I've been calling him JT Shumati, which is not, not <laughs> the case. So I got to correct myself there. But I mean, he had another great game the other night. Marion Jackson's been unbelievable. Ryan Rollins, I think, along with Mark Sears from Ohio, one of the best freshmen in the conference. So I don't know. Things seem to be pointing in the right direction for Toledo. It's starting to feel like their year. However, um, I'm sure a lot of Rocket fans felt that way in 2014 and in 2019 as well. So we'll see what happens. I, I do agree with you, All, although as good as they've been, I, I think Toledo can't get ahead of themselves and fall into a Bowling Green type spiral yes. where they're just just falling out of sorts. And just now they, they don't have the hardest matchups coming up. Obviously, at Ball State, we talked about at Northern Illinois, they've got a uh, decent matchup against Bowling Green, Miami, Ohio and Buffalo. But you you still got nine games left. There's no there's no for certain that they're going to clinch the number one seed. So. Even as good as they've been, you can't look back. You can only look forward, and you can only you can only keep going as the season uh, progresses. And Toledo, you got Toledo fans definitely have to be feeling themselves. But until they clinch that number one seed, you you can't take any game for granted. No, I agree completely. And and like you said, nine games left in the regular season, and they are uh, they're two and a half games up on Akron, three games up on Kent State. It's it's certainly within the realm of possibility that one of those two teams could uh, could catch them and, and overtake them for the number one seed if Toledo were to lose a couple. Uh, like you said, um, obviously the battle for I-75, they're playing Bowling Green again on uh, on the 13th of February. That's a big game. Miami has has been no pushover here over the last couple of weeks. And then you also, you know, you got to go up to Buffalo and play the Bulls uh, in their on their home court uh, in uh, on February 20th. So they certainly have some tests left here. We'll see what happens, but man, the way they're playing right now, it's uh, it's it's been impressive. Yeah, I agree. And before we get into some uh, recaps for this week, we've got some um, a quick uh, women's basketball schedule update. There's been four basketball games this week that has been postponed. February sixth, Eastern Michigan at Buffalo Women's Hoops. Uh, February tenth, Northern Illinois um, at Eastern Michigan. February 13th, Bowling Green at Eastern Michigan um, has been postponed. And then finally, February 17th, uh, Eastern Michigan at Akron. So if you're an Eastern Michigan fan, it looks like there's been an outbreak of COVID within uh, the Eastern Michigan program. So your next four games, it looks like, are being canceled. So I, I believe we we talked about them being eighth um, in the conference. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to see if they, if they have less games being played towards the end of the season, if that makes a difference. I agree completely. And I think that's something that I'm really curious to hear from coming from the Mac offices here over the next couple of weeks. I, I am curious to see how they're going to handle um, all these makeup games or if they're going to be able to make up these games or if they're just going to end the season accepting that Kent State and Eastern Michigan are going to have a few less games played than everyone else. Certainly unprecedented circumstances here, uh, given everything that's going on. So I don't know. We'll see what happens here over the next couple of weeks. Hopefully everything with Eastern Michigan gets cleared up here uh, soon so that the, the Eagles can get back onto the court because they are having a pretty good season, you know, sitting, they are at eighth in the conference, but still six and four, not bad at all. 
only uh, only a half game back. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with them over the next week or so. I agree. And with that being said, Zach, we we had what we have 10 games to talk about in the Mac. So quite a few, quite a few number of games we have to talk about a lot of action to talk about. It was it was pretty, pretty cool week this week. Yeah, I tell you what, starting off on the men's side here, Sam, uh, Ohio was a team that we talked about a few weeks ago who we felt like they might be starting to fade a little bit. But uh, they've they've proved us wrong here over the last couple of weeks. They've they've really turned it on. They've run one four in a row now. And um, the the third of that four happened last week on uh, on the 29th of January. They went up to Buffalo and got a really nice hard fought win over the Bulls, 76 to 75. They were up by nine points at halftime in this game. Uh, Buffalo went down swinging, though. They, they came back in the second half. Uh, they tied it twice in that uh, in the second half before Ohio ended up pulling away and, and winning by one, 76-75. Dwight Wilson, uh, 21 points in this game for the Bobcats. He's uh, the second uh, – He excuse me, he's second in the conference in field goal percentage. He was 8 for 10 from the field in this game. Jason Preston with 14 points and nine rebounds. And, um, you know, the, the Bobcats really just found a way – to get it done. A lot of their, a lot of their guys, uh, their starters that we don't talk about as much really helped them out in this game. London McKay, he had, uh, he had 10 points in this game right at his season average. And, uh, and Ben Roderick came out with, uh, with 17 uh, in this one as well. So really a balanced effort from the Bobcats in this one only got eight points from the bench, but still a big win to go on the road for the Bobcats and, and knock off Buffalo on their home floor. No doubt, Zach. And I have to ask, did you watch this game by chance? You know what? I, I saw some bits and pieces of it. I didn't get to see the whole thing, though. So so I turned, I tuned on this game second half, and it looked like Ohio was – I'm going to be honest. It looked like Ohio was the better team, and they, they should have won this game handily. But they just kept letting Buffalo hit shots toward the end. And Buffalo had a chance to win. They, I believe they had a uh, lead in the last two minutes that they just let slip away. But I mean, just watching DJ Wilson, which will, which you'll talk about later as your kind of player of the week, he was just dominant. Like we forget how good he is, just yeah. just not only as a rebounder, but he can score quite a few baskets as well, drawing and ones. Just just as a force in the paint, we just forgot with the just excellent play of Jason Preston with Vanderplas who who struggled in this game. But man, Buffalo. I like I I was watching them. I was I was at the game against Ball State, which they they clearly looked the better team. And I'm just just can't figure out why they can't put it together, not only for an entire game for but for multiple games. Yeah, we've talked about it over the last couple of weeks, and and you were the first one that brought this up a few weeks ago, Sam. So so kudos to you. But man, with with the talent that they have, they just can't seem to find any consistency at all. You, you talked about, you know, the, the game against Ball State the other day in the second half and how good they looked there. You compare that to how they looked at home against Ohio in the first half of this game where, you know, they go into halftime, they're down nine. And you're right. I mean, I think Ohio did look like the better team for most of this game. They were up by 10 at points in the second half. And, uh, and you're right. Josh and Bala hit a, hit a layup with uh, 43 seconds to go to, to give Buffalo – you know, a one point lead uh, with under a minute left to play here. And then Dwight Wilson hit, hit a shot uh, with like 25 seconds left to give Ohio kind of the final, uh, you know, the final margin there, but yeah, they're just, there's no consistency. It seems for this Buffalo team, you know, they're sitting now at, at four and four in the conference. They have some, uh, they have some good wins. You know, they, they, they beat Bowling green. 
uh, or I shouldn't say not, no, they're not Bowling Green. They, they should have beat Bowling Green the one time um, at Bowling Green. They lost in overtime to Syracuse. I mean, this is a team that has some, some good performances, but, you know, sitting at five and four in the conference, they just can't seem to, to get any consistency, even with Jonathan Williams and Josh Mbala, who play so well at such a high level. I don't know. You're, you're right, Sam. There's, there's a lot to be desired there when you watch the Bulls play. I agree. And uh, Zach, Toledo had back-to-back wins, which just looked impressive. An 18-point win against Bowling Green and then a 15-point win against the second team in the conference in Akron. Yeah, I tell you what, uh, uh, another big week for the Rockets. And, I, you know, I've said it previously. We've talked about it already on this episode, and I'll continue to say it. I just I, – I don't know how you stop this team on offense. I mean, you look at them now – you know, they're averaging 81 points a game. They're, you know, they're uh, offensively really, really, really good. Uh, There's, you know, third and only third in the conference in, in points per game because, you know, Kent State and, and Buffalo, but they're all, they're all right there. But they also, you know, they're third in the, in the conference in scoring defense. Uh, they're second in scoring margin. This is a team that just really doesn't have any weak spots. And, you know, uh, last week against Bowling Green, 84 to 66, they really ran the Falcons off of their own home floor. And, you know, Bowling Green has been in a little bit of a free fall recently, which we've been talking about. But still, a rivalry game like this, you have to know that Bowling Green is going to get up for this game. And uh, the Rockets really just, they, they I mean, they, they came to play. And the thing about this team is that even when their stars have an off night, other guys step up. Marion Jackson against Bowling Green, only 15 points. He was six for 15 from the field, but Spencer Littleson stepped up with 19 points. Rollins had 11. Cedric Milner had 11. Uh, you know, off the bench, they had, uh, they had, uh, Kishon Saunders had 10, as did Matia Akunzo had 10. So like, these are, this is a team, you know, we talk about Bowling Green and Buffalo and these teams that lack depth. Toledo is the opposite of that to me. These, this team has seven, eight, nine guys that can score. And so when a guy like Marion Jackson has an off night, that's okay because other guys will pick up the slack. Yeah, I agree. And, and not only not only are they scoring – like you can have four to five guys in your starting lineup that score 10-plus points, but then they're also getting production from your bench. You, you look at um, both the Akron game and the, the Bowling Green game – I'll start with the Bowling Green game. They had two uh, bench scores, uh, double digit. Then you move on to the Akron game where they had another another guy score 10 plus points. And it's just like, not only are they getting production from their starters, they're also getting production from their bench, which makes them that much scarier because like we talk about Buffalo, we talk, we talk about the lack of depth that they have um, beyond their starting lineup. Toledo is just the opposite. And not only that, not only are they scoring they're shooting at a high percentage of 50% against 50.8% against Bowling Green. Then they follow that up with a 50.0% flat against Akron. It's not only that they're just so good offensively, it's that they're doing it at a high efficiency. And that, that's what's scary. Not only that they have four scores, they have five, six scores coming off. They have a five, six scores total, two coming off their bench. That is just it's just scary. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Sam. And, and when you look at like the team stats, the offensive rankings in the Mac right now, I mean, they're third in scoring, second in scoring margin, first in free throw percentage, third in field goal percentage, uh, you know, first in three point field goal percentage. I mean, every, everything, every major offensive metric that you could look at on the offensive side of the ball they're right there at the top of the pack. And, and, you know, you bring, you, you brought up, you know, we talked about the Bowling Green game. You look at this Akron game as well. I mean, 
Akron came into this game playing as well as any team in the conference, I, I would argue, right? And I really expected this to be a really good game. Akron came out and scored the first five points of this game. It was 5 nothing Akron about a minute and a half in. And then it was like Toledo just turned the Jets on and, and blew them out of the water. They were up by 14 at halftime. Uh, there was a couple times in the second half where uh, Akron battled back with about 10 minutes left in the game. Uh, Enrique Freeman hit a layup in, for the Zips, and that tied it up at 61. But then from there, Toledo, uh, you know, went on a run of their own and, and got this back up over 10 points. And, you know, once, once it got back, you know, it got to 80 to 66 with five minutes left. And it was, you know, it was kind of over at that point. I just, the thing with this team is Toledo, they, they don't seem to ever have a lull offensively where they can't hit a shot. And so if you're a team like Akron, you battle back and you tie this game up at 61, but then it's like, what happens now? Because we still can't get a stop on these guys. And so I just, again, I'll, I'll continue to say it. I'm not sure how you stop Toledo offensively because they, they just, they, they're, they're consistent. They're balanced. They have guys that can score under the hoop. They got Scott guys that can hit threes. Marion Jackson kind of runs the whole show. He's a great point guard. They, they continue to impress me every time I watch them. Yeah. And, and to kind of flip, flip the, the switch, talking about one of their opponents in Bowling Green. I mean, this kind of ties in the Western Michigan game, yeah. Where where do they go? Where do they go from here? Because it just seems like Buffalo's in just a a kind of slip ever since even even that Buffalo win wasn't really convincing all the way from that that Ball State game back I would say probably a month or two or probably a month ago. Yeah. They just they just haven't looked like the same Bowling Green that was blowing out Central Michigan that was beating Ohio that was beating Northern Illinois by 26. Like I just don't know what's really wrong with this Bowling Green team where they're they're even losing teams to no offense to Western Michigan fans, but a two and seven conference three and 11 overall team. Yeah. And the thing that we keep talking about with Bowling Green is that I, the thing is they're kind of the opposite of Toledo and like there's there's not a ton of, of depth here, you know, I think. When you look at a team like Toledo or even a team like Ohio that's very balanced, both of those teams, you got five guys on your roster that are averaging over 10 points a game. Here with uh, with Bowling Green, you got Justin Turner, who's pretty much asked to do it all. He's averaging 20 points a game, playing 35 minutes a night. And then after that, you got Daquan Plowden averaging 12.7 points a game and Trey Diggs averaging 10.9. That's really it. And even Trey Diggs is a guy that's coming off the bench for you. He's kind of your, your sixth man. And he's one of only three players averaging double digits. I mean, you're going to need if, – if if Bowling Green wants to stop this skid that they're on, they're going to need more from guys like Caden Matheny and, and Caleb Fields and Josiah Fulker. These are, these are guys that need to step up a little bit. I mean, you look at the game against Western Michigan uh, last night, Turner with 25, Daquan Plowden with 18. Nobody else on the team scored more than eight points. There's your problem right there, and, and I think – the thing with Bowling Green that concerns me is that they let their offense affect their defense. So on the nights where they're not shooting the ball well, it seems to carry over to the defensive side of the floor where the effort isn't quite there. I mean, they let they let Western Michigan score 40 points in the first half of this game, and you know they were down by 11 at halftime. That's unacceptable. I mean, say what you want. Like you said, Sam, no offense to, to Western Michigan, but this is a team coming into this game last night that had won two games all season. They were 2-11, and 1-7 in the MAC. 
that's an unacceptable performance from Bowling Green last night. And, um, you know, I just, again, for a team like Bowling Green that needed a win here to kind of stop the bleeding, I, I don't know how you can come out and play as flat as they did last night. It, and not only that, it's one thing to lose on the road at Western Michigan. It's another thing to do it at home. And sure, you don't have fans, but it's still unacceptable. And one quick shout out um, is uh, Daquan Plowden. He's I, I did the math. He's 53 points short uh, points short of uh, being a thousand point score. So I'm sure we'll be talking about him being a thousand point score before long. But Zach, um, I'm ready to talk some women's hoops if you are. Yeah, let's do it, man. We had a, a big week on uh, on the women's side as well, uh, you know, which, you know, the, I think I, I keep saying this. I feel like a broken record saying this mm-hmm. every week. And we've talked about it a little bit already, Sam, but you look at the standings here. I mean, you got the – well, let's take Kent State out of the equation for the moment because they've only played five games. Bowling Green sitting there in second place at nine and three, and and Central Michigan sitting in seventh place at eight and four. You got Bowling Green at nine and three, Buffalo, Ball State, and Northern Illinois all at seven and three. Ohio and Michigan at eight and four. I mean, the parody here is unbelievable. It really is. And I love to see it. Uh, yeah. And Zach, uh, you kind of mentioned it, the central Michigan let's, let's kind of talk about them and how everybody kind of, I think they were projected at least top two, if not first in the Mac and yeah. women's. And now they're sitting here at seventh in the Mac, like this central Michigan team is good, but they're sitting here at eight and four. It's, it's a solid season but it's just not good enough to be be top of the Mac at this point. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I, the thing, I think the caveat there is, you know, you go on a, a, a streak and maybe you win two or three in a row if you're Central Michigan and you right back up there in the top two or three. Um, but yeah, you know, they had that run a couple weeks ago uh, where, where they lost three in a row uh, to NIU, Ohio, and Eastern Michigan uh, with Ohio and Eastern Michigan both being at home. I think, when this season's all said and done, if they finish in the bottom half of the conference, I think they'll probably look at that run of games as what it was that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of derailed their season. But that being said, there's still, um, there's, there's still a lot to be said for, uh, for their team. I mean, they still got a lot. They're still second in the conference in scoring offense. And uh, the thing that worries me with them is, is their, their defense. They're giving up 73 points a game, which is ninth in the conference. Um, however, you gotta you gotta hand it to him here, Sam. The other night they, they did get a big win at home um, against Buffalo, 66 to uh, to 62. Michaela Kelly continues to play at a high level for the Chippewas. She had 19 in this game. I think this was a big win for their confidence. Uh, you know, just because of of you know what had been going on with them recently, they they were able to go on the road and get a couple wins against Akron and Toledo. Although those are two teams that are more towards the bottom of the conference, but. Uh, you know, getting a win against Buffalo, who's another contender, I think was could have been a sign uh, that they were starting to get back onto the right track. Yeah, I, I do agree. But watching or uh, seeing kind of what was unfolding on Twitter, uh, uh, keeping up with the Ball State Central Michigan game, Central Michigan should have won that game. Multiple points, they had double digit leads, and then they just let Ball State come back in this game. I think it was they had a double-digit lead in the second and then also the third. And then they just kind of fell apart from there and let Ball State just kind of in, in that game. And that's not what you want, especially when the conference is so tight. I understand Ball State's on a, a five-game win streak right now, but that's that's just that's just unacceptable. If you want to be the top of the conference like everyone projects you to be, you, you just can't let that happen. And to do it in, front, to do it in your home arena is just even more heartbreaking. 
Yeah, I agree with you. And and that was the one thing where, you know, I I kind of had to catch myself because I said that Buffalo win was going to get Central Michigan back on track. But then you're right. You know, this Ball State game came just a couple nights later. And, you know, this is a game where Central Michigan, they were up 53-41 in the third quarter there. And uh, they allowed Ball State to go on a 17-2 run to take the lead. Uh, 58 to 55 halfway through the fourth. And then that, that ended up being the final margin where uh, the Cardinals hung on and won this game by three points. So you're right. They, um, that, you know, they went on that street, they went what uh, almost, you know, seven minutes without a bucket in the second half of this game. Anytime you do that against a conference opponent, uh, that's going to, that's going to hurt your chances a little bit up there. So that's certainly something that they, they're going to need to work out. Uh, they, they do have a couple opportunities for wins here over the next uh, over the next week or so. Their next two games are playing at Western Michigan and at Miami of Ohio. Uh, those are two teams. The Broncos and the Red Hawks are, are both struggling this year, uh, sitting at both, you know, one and 10, one and 11 at the bottom of the conference. So hopefully uh, if I'm a, if you're a Chippewas fan, you can see them get a couple wins here over the next week to get kind of their confidence back. And, and uh, so we had the the men's of Toledo beat uh, Bowling Green and men, but in the women's, we actually had Bowling Green beat Toledo in that rivalry game. Yeah, we did. And uh, you love to see that if you're a Bowling Green fan, right? The, the women's team, uh, you know, we've talked about the men's team a lot and kind of how they've struggled here over the last couple of weeks. Well, the women's team has, has kind of been uh, on the other side of the coin, right? They're sitting at nine and three right now. Uh, they had a, a five game winning streak before they lost the other night to Northern Illinois. But yeah, this game against uh, uh, against Toledo, man, they, it was it was 15, 14 Toledo after the first quarter before Bowling Green kind of blew it open in the second and third quarters, uh, 24 to nine in the second quarter and then 21, 14 in the third quarter. A really nice performance here for the uh, the uh, the Falcons, excuse me. And uh, you look at this team. You know, they continue to play well. Lexi Fleming is shooting the ball well. She's sitting there at just over 18 points a game. She's kind of the, the leader of, of the pack here for the Falcons. And then you got Katie Hempfling, uh, you know, sitting there at six and a half rebounds to, to lead them in, in that stat. I think this is a team, though, when you look at Bowling Green, not a lot of, uh, you know, I, I think I feel like they kind of fell out of the, the equation here for a week or two because they had a couple losses. But this is a team that uh, got significant bench contributions in this game. You had, uh, what, you have 34 points of your 76 from the bench in this game against Toledo. Uh, a lot of depth here, a lot of balance here for the Falcons. This was an encouraging showing uh, for Bowling Green. Now, similar to, uh, similar to Central Michigan, they weren't able to follow that up with another strong performance because uh, they had a, a little bit of a heartbreaker last night against Northern Illinois. But nonetheless, if I'm a Falcons fan, I'm, I'm happy with uh, getting a victory over Toledo in the battle of the I-75. Yeah, no doubt. And in this game really comes down to turnovers. I, I'm a person, whether or not you figured out, that hates a lot of turnovers. It just, yeah. it just like drives me crazy. And Toledo had 21. And it wouldn't be so yeah. bad if Bowling Green also had a similar amount. No, they had eight turnovers. I mean, yeah. I mean, when you when you give people free opportunities, what are they going to do with it? That, that's the reason that Bowling Green hit 10 more field goals than you shot, shot a uh, better um, – field goal percentages because you gave them the opportunities to, and that's just what it comes down to. And we don't talk about Toledo a lot because yeah, they, they just don't put out the, the, the great performances like the the men's team does. Bowling Green just, just um, unlike their counterparts in the men is actually doing really well, 13 and three, nine and two, uh, like you said, had a, a disappointing loss against Northern Illinois last night that uh, if you want to touch on. Yeah, for sure. This, uh, 
Yeah, Bowling Green here, um, again, brought their five-game win streak into DeKalb last night to take on the Huskies. Bowling Green outscored Northern Illinois 25-7 to in the first quarter of this game. And they uh, they led the Huskies in the second uh, in the second half uh, by by 20 points. Uh, however, a, a 20 to three run for Northern Illinois between the third and the fourth quarter uh, got them back into this game. And, um, you know, Bowling Green just in the second half, they just uh, could not hit a shot. And, you know, after playing so well in the first half, shot over 50 percent in the first half uh, and under 40 percent in the second half finished the game 25 for 58. And, uh, you know, this is uh, just a very, very disappointing loss for a team that had been playing really well. But, you know, I talked about Northern Illinois a couple weeks ago, and uh, this is a team that's that's playing really good basketball right now. After, you know, with this win, they've they've now won uh, seven of eight games with uh, their only loss being at Toledo, which is certainly a disappointing loss given where Toledo is in the standings. But, uh, you know, a 78-9 to 78 win, for uh, the Huskies in this situation here. Again, after being down 20 earlier in the game, a really nice game from, uh, from Shelby, uh, Shelby Coker for the Huskies. And uh, she's been playing really well for them. She's kind of kind of their leader and, you know, leading them in points. And then you got a, a couple of really strong rebounders for, for the Huskies under the back as well. You got Michaela Brandon's at 7.7 points a game or a rebounds game, excuse me, fourth in the conference. And then Aja Davis at 7.3. She's right behind her at seventh. So this Huskies team is, is a team that, uh, you know, they, they didn't have a great, the greatest start to the season. They lost uh, what they lost five of their first seven games. Uh, and that included a couple of conference losses, one to Toledo and, and one to Ohio. But they've really bounced back since then. Like I've said, they've they've won seven of eight. Uh, they find themselves right now at fifth in the conference, or and and you actually tied for for third, uh, tied with Ball State and Buffalo uh, at seven and three. This is a team that's really starting to turn the corner over the last couple of weeks. It seems. Yeah, Zach, I I think this is a a team that like, it seems like every year we have teams that play good basketball at the right time at the end of the season towards March Madness or and towards the conference tournament if they don't end up playing in March Madness. And, and this is a Northern Illinois team similar to, I think, Miami, Ohio, the men's, which is just playing good basketball yeah. at the right time, getting wins when you need to. And Bowling Green to shoot 48% from the three-point line shoot 16 threes or shoot, make 16 threes and still get a loss. You have to be disappointed with that performance. You, like you said, 25 to seven in that first quarter, and then you just let it slip away. You're outscored by 12 in the third. You're outscored by uh, six, making 18 in the second half. It's just not acceptable because I think we both know this Bowling Green to be, to be a excellent um, team. And to, to, to just put on that performance in that second half is just just disappointing. Yeah, it is. And for a team that has as much talent as they do and a team that's been playing as well as they have been, uh, certainly not something that you would expect. But but again, Northern Illinois is a team that I, I continue to be impressed by. And, you know, we've talked about all of the, the parity on the women's side right now. If I was a team, if, you know, if Northern Illinois are to lose a game or two here over the next couple of weeks, and let's say they make it into the conference tournament as like the seven seed, if I'm, you know, Bowling Green or Ohio or Kent State and end up getting the two seed and have to play Northern Illinois in the first round, that's not a matchup that I'm very excited about. Yeah, I agree. And um, for our final uh, women's recap, before we moved on to our team slash player of the week segment, we got the Ohio camp matchup. This uh, Kent State matchup was probably the first matchup that they've had in uh, probably two to three weeks. Yeah, this was their first game. They hadn't played since January 9th. 
And okay. uh, then this, this game happened just uh, last night on the third. So you're looking at almost a month uh, for Kent State. And to be honest with you, the, the, the rust showed a little bit. Uh, Ohio ended up winning this game 85 to 70. Um, it was tied after the first quarter, but Kent State, or I'm sorry, Ohio pulled away uh, 24 to 12 in the second quarter to take that 12 point lead into halftime. CC Hooks can, continues to play really, really good basketball. Uh, for the uh, the Bobcats, she had 29 points, nine assists, and six rebounds in this game. 12 for 20 from the field. Um, Ohio, you know, we were talking before the game here. Sam was uh, not a lot of production from the bench here for the Bobcats, but still the the um, the the starters kind of carried the day. CC Hooks led the way there with with 29 points. Uh, but you know, again, looking at the other side at Kent State, uh, the the rust of not playing for a month showed they shot 29.6% from three point land, only 43% from the field. Uh, when you do that and when you give up 85 points to your opponent, you're not going to win many games. Yeah, I agree. And it, there's going to be teams. If you have a long break that are going to bounce back. Excellent. And this just wasn't one of those games for Kent state where you're just, where you were going to bounce back and get a win. Oh, how's a excellent opponent. I mean, you, you, you let them shoot 16 more free throws at the end of the day. They, they ended up making 11 more than you, and that basically what won the game for Ohio, making, those, making a lot more free throws because everything else was relatively the same. They even, sh they, they even shot close to the same field goal percentage and whatnot. So if you, if you trim down those free throw, per you trim down those free throws to relatively the same, you have a game, but it just wasn't that, that, that type of game for Kent State to win. Yeah, it wasn't. And I uh, got to give a shout out here to Gabby Burris from Ohio in this game. Uh, since she's not someone that we've talked about on the podcast previously. She kind of gets uh, overshadowed there by uh, by uh, Sierra Hooks and uh, and Eric or CC Hooks and, and Erica Johnson. But uh, she had uh, she had 22 in this game, a season five high for her nine for 10 from the free throw line. She's averaging on just under 13 points a game. So a very nice kind of third weapon uh, for the Bobcats. And you know, without, it's, I think it's easy to say with, you know, without her efforts in this game and uh, with Erica Johnson not playing, uh, you easily could have seen this one going the other way. So uh, a shout out to, to Gabby Burris in this one, a big win for Ohio. They, you know, they're still sitting at eight and four right there in the middle of the pack, along with central Michigan and Northern Illinois and ball state. So, you know, uh, every win is crucial at this point for, for those teams there in the middle of the pack that are going to, you know, try to separate themselves a little bit here over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I agree. And with with that being said, our last segment, uh, team player of the week, uh, Zach, give me your uh, men player of the week this week. Yeah, I'm going to go with a guy that uh, we talked a little bit here in the earlier uh, part of the show, Sam. I'm going to go with Dwight Wilson from Ohio. Uh, this is a guy that, you know, the, the transfer from James Madison, he's, you know, decided to come to Ohio for his senior year, and he's been a great, great addition for the Bobcats. Uh, this week specifically, uh, he had 21-6 and six, uh, in Friday's win over Buffalo. Uh, he was 8-for-10 from the field in that game, and then he had 14-10 and 10 uh, for the double-double in their win over Central Michigan on Tuesday. That was his fourth double-double of the season. This is a guy second in field goal percentage in the MAC at 67.9%. You, you know, you look at those two games this past week, 15 for 17 from the field for the big man. And, uh, 
you know, he's sixth in the conference in rebounding at 7.6 per game on top of that. So this is a guy that, uh, you know, he's, he's not um, going to blow you away with his athleticism, like some of the other big men in the Mac might, but he's still, he's incredibly good at finishing around the bucket as his field goal percentage uh, kind of shows. And he's also a great rebounder. And I think, you know, Jason Preston gets all the press for, for Ohio, but Dwight Wilson has been integral to their success this year. And it's, uh, it's been fun watching him play. He's been really good. Had a, had a big bucket at the end of the game the other night against Buffalo to get the Bobcats to win. Yeah, I agree. And the more and more I watch Ohio, I, I gained appreciation for Jeff Bulls and the, the, the job he's done, not only recruiting these kids, but he finds kids that want to play their role. And Dwight Wilson might not have 21 and six every game like he did against Buffalo or 14 and 10 against Central Michigan. But he, he'll give you 7.6 rebounds per game, second in field goal percentage. He'll do his role. Jason Preston does his role. Vanderplas yes. does his role. Roderick does his role. All these kids do their roles and it works perfectly. Like I love watching Ohio play because they're just like cohesive unit that it just works. They're 10 and five in the conference eight or uh, I'm looking at women. Sorry about that, but they're, they're high in the conference and they just, they're just scary to watch. They're scary to play against. I was watching them against ball state and it was just scary to watch how just, how just cohesive they were. But yeah, I, I think Ohio's just impressive and Dwight Hills Wilson in that game against um, Buffalo and guarding Josh and Bala would impress me even more. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. And they've certainly uh, seemed to turn it on here over the last couple of weeks. What about you, man? Who, who'd you go with for your uh, men's performance of the week this week? I, I went with an old reliable. I went with Josh and Bala, 22.16 <laughs> rebounds against Ball State at a double-double against Ohio. He's just been putting it on, even with Buffalo struggles. He continues just to do what Dwight Wilson numbers. He just continues to be a double-double machine, even with the talent they have around him, whether it's Javon Graves, whether it's Nathan Williams. He just continues just to dominate. I love watching him play. And in that second half against Ball State, I'll say again, it showed how Ball State should be – or not how Ball State, how it showed how Buffalo should be playing. They should be dominating maybe everybody except Akron and um, Toledo. Everybody else – with the, the starting five they have, just they should be dominating everybody else. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And it's it's crazy to me. You look at at, at Mbala's like game by game stat lines. He he is the leader in the conference in of like eye eye popping box scores, right? I mean, 22 and 16 against Ball State, 14 and 12 against Ohio, 14 and 15 against Bowling Green, 19 and 19 against Ball State a couple weeks ago. I mean, this is a guy who consistently puts up double doubles and absurd stat lines. And he's, I mean, he's doesn't really have like a weakness in his game, you know, 15 points a game, 10.1 rebounds a game. He's shooting 46% from the field. This is a guy that can that can really do it all. I mean, he he's not great at you know shoot, stepping outside and shooting, but he doesn't need to do that. I mean, he's so good under the basket that every night he's a mismatch for who you know no, no matter who they're playing. I, I agree, uh, Zach. Who do you have on the women's side of things? Yeah, you know, I I'm gonna go back to Northern Illinois here, and and I give this. I, I chose Northern Illinois not because of just the past week, but really just for the whole month of, of January. 
Uh, this is a team that went six and one on the month in January. Their only loss being at Toledo. Uh, Shelby Coker is playing really well right now. She's averaging 20.6 points per game, and she averaged 22.5 points per game here over the last week. And then as far as this week goes specifically, I gave them the, the I had to give them the nod here because of that comeback victory that they had against Bowling Green last night. Again, being down 25 to seven after the first quarter and being down 20 at a couple of different points in that game to battle back and uh, use that 20 to three run in the second half to come back and win that game. Huge win for the Huskies. Again, they've won seven of eight. Now there's seven and three in the conference. And, um, you know, like I said, moving forward into the conference tournament, this is not a team that I would want to play. Yeah, I agree. Northern Illinois has just been fun to watch on the women's side of things. They've just been turning around on the right, uh, the right time, like I said earlier. And for me, I went with somebody we don't really talk about and a, a team we talked about earlier in Kent State. And, and this player, not because they got the win done. They had, like you said, a month off. And yeah. this player in uh, Katie Shoemate, I believe because you said JT Shoemate is that yeah, how you say his yeah. last name. So I'm going to go with that. If it's Shumati, my bad, but I'm going to stick with Shoemate. Had 23 points and six rebounds against Ohio to have a month off, come back and put 20 points on Ohio. They didn't get the win. Kent State's still in first place in the MAC. I think it just deserved to be player of the week. Hopefully we get more Kent State games to watch. But, yeah, just to come off the rust like that and to show out like that, I, I thought it deserved it. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I just looked it up. I, I just pulled her up on Kent State's website. She's actually J.T. Shumate's brother. So, or my sister, excuse me, a, a bad, uh, a bad uh, <laughs> speech here there. But, uh, yeah, so talk about a basketball family there, my goodness. And, and you're right, you know, um, the fact that they, they lost that game uh, against Eastern Michigan, I think, is more of a, uh, you know, the fact that they didn't play for a month, you know what I mean? And so that's tough, a uh, tough, no matter what the circumstances are, but you have those protocols, you, you aren't able to, you know, practice or do a lot of team activity. So um, I don't think anyone's super surprised that Ohio uh, was able to win that game, but certainly a good game for her. I mean, 23 points, nine for 15 from the field. Hopefully uh, that's something that she can build on. And, uh, you know, hopefully if, I, if you're a Golden Flashes fan, hopefully that carries forward into their game. Uh, coming up on Saturday against Miami, see if they can get a win, get back on track. I, I agree there. Um, Zach, um, before we wrap up the show, is there any big games you're watching this week? You know, on uh, on the men's side of things, uh, the, the one game that I'm really excited for is uh, tomorrow night, Friday night, um, Akron going to Kent State. Uh, we know how big of a rivalry that is. And these two teams right now uh, sitting at second and third in the conference specifically, both have been playing really good basketball over the last couple of weeks. I know Akron's going to be eager to, uh, to get back on the winning track after losing at Toledo the other night, Akron won uh, this game at, you know, on their home court last month. So I know Kent state's going to want to get some, uh, some revenge there. Danny Pippen and Mike Nuga have been playing at a really high level as have uh, Lauren Christian Jackson. Uh, for the zips. So I'm really excited to watch Kent and Akron tomorrow night. Uh, and then obviously, Sam, you know, Toledo playing Ball State on Saturday. Ball State's lost a couple games in a row here now. They get their first crack at the Rockets on Saturday, though. Yeah, I'm excited for that. But on, on a different game, I'm excited to watch on the men's side of thing. I'm excited for, you said Akron at Kent. I'm excited for Kent State at Bowling Green. All the players you mentioned on Kent State are valid here as well. But just to see if Bowling Green if this will be the start of a turnaround, if it's not, they'll just continue to fall and fall. But I just want to keep watching this Bowling Green team to see if they can figure it out because we talked about how they're just falling and falling and falling. Kent State is a nice matchup 
for you to um, bounce back again because it's a formidable opponent. We you, we talk about Danny Pippen's just excellent. Justin Turner j- just became the leading scorer. It's time for him to step up. Daquan Puns, uh, um, 53 points away from 1,000. So hopefully Bowling Green can turn around there. But, Zach, who are you looking forward to watching on the women's side of things? You know, I think uh, one game that really, really intrigues me, you know, we've talked a lot about the kind of the the middle of of the conference. Uh, I think on Saturday at noon, uh, we got Ohio playing Bowling Green. Uh, Ohio is a team that has a lot of talent that I think a lot of people think should maybe be a little bit higher up in the standings right now they got a big opportunity to go to bowling green and steal a win on the road it's going to be also curious to me to see how bowling green bounces back after blowing that 20 point lead against northern illinois last night i'm really looking forward to watching the bobcats uh play bowling green on saturday and then also with uh with bowling green uh they're going to kent state on wednesday want to see how uh katie Schumacher and uh kent state bounce back uh, this week after after obviously um, you know losing their first game back from from their quarantine break against uh, against uh, gee it's escaping me right Ohio. now Ohio sorry yeah sorry that one that one lost me for a second but yeah those are the two games I'm really looking forward to this week. Uh, the one game I'm looking forward to is NIU at Ball State for the simple fact that these teams are hot at the right time. Ball State on that win streak we we talked about Northern Illinois a bunch this episode this episode just having a great month in general. I think this is going to be a fun to watch a uh, matchup to watch at Worthen Arena Monday two o'clock afternoon game uh, that I'm pro- I may may decide to to attend because we can go to those games now I'm excited for that game I think that should be a f- fun game to watch but with that being said Zach is there any um, final thoughts you had on this episode No I don't think so uh, a lot of good stuff uh, big couple weeks here in hoops on, on the hardwood so I'm excited to see how these conference races play out to touch on the last thing you just mentioned there Sam about you know, NIU Ball State playing on on uh, Monday at two o'clock. There's one thing that I hope remains uh, from this whole, you know, this season and the pandemic and everything. I'm loving these these afternoon mm. weekday games. I hope these continue. Uh, it's great to be able to watch college hoops, men's and women's on, you know, a, a Tuesday afternoon at two o'clock. You turn on the TV, you got a game to watch. I hope that sticks around. That's neither here, here nor there, though. A lot of big games this week in the MAC. I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, yeah, but uh, Zach, uh, before we wrap up this episode, kind of uh, some big Twitter news. Hustle Belt, uh, the uh, Twitter account has been verified uh, for it's been nine years since they started the Twitter account. It's finally hey, been verified. That blue check mark. That's a powerful thing, man. Exactly. Now they can, um, as they said, they can make t- terrible t- takes once a week and it actually means <laughs> something. But uh, with that being said, um, it's going to wrap it up for this episode. Episode 31, hard to believe it's already episode 31. But yeah, yeah um, it's, it's, been, it's been a fun journey. Uh, hard to believe it's already episode 31. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we'll talk to you guys next Friday. Peace.